just before I start the message, on your chairs this morning, remember last week I said that God had just really clearly um, said that there was a, something he wanted this year, which was that we, what we do, we do well, and in all that we do, we do all things well. So we're trying to work on all sorts of bits to do things better. So for this, this series, what you'll find is that there's some notes on your chairs. That's to help you. That's to help you when you go away to remember what I've said. But it's also, if you want to use them, you can use them for discussion in your life groups. Or you can use them for discussion at home. You can discuss them with the kids. Um, now, I appreciate that we don't want to fell loads of trees. So, probably when we've done this series, we might switch to having just the notes. But then you will also find, if you look on your phones or your email or whatever, that we've emailed you this set as well this morning, probably dropped into your inbox about 6 a.m. So, pardon? Yeah, it didn't open on my phone either. There's a, there's a technical issue, I think, with, with opening. Yeah, so unless you have Word on your phone, it doesn't open. But we're working on it. So we're trying to make things better, yeah? Because that's what Jesus deserves. He deserves our best. So that's why we're doing this. Um, as of tomorrow morning, in your inbox, there will be videos dropping each day to help you. They, they are not the same as I'm saying on Sunday. They're, they're different. They're meant to be helpful. Because what we want to be is helpful and practical. And so that's why we're doing that. Um, so hopefully you like them. Hopefully we can keep on improving things and, and getting things better. So I've got a question for you all this morning. How many of you have worked or been somewhere where there's a vision statement? Right, nearly everybody. Nearly everybody's been somewhere where there's a vision statement. I worked for years where there was a vision statement. When, when we came up with this vision statement... We were the smallest of the, the top eight accountancy firms. And we had this vision statement, and it was what just came uh, around the time I became a partner. And it, and it said this, to be the firm of choice for complex advisory work. Now, that's not really very exciting, is it, to be honest? But I can say but that by the time I retired... We'd gone from eight to number one, and we were the firm of choice for complex advisory work. And so vision, however much we might think, well, you know, we don't like that idea or whatever, they're helpful because they help focus what we're about. And I'm going to talk about that and explain that a bit more this morning in the context of your own personal visions for your life and our vision that God gave us for this church. And we're going to explore that over two, three weeks now. So, where does all this begin? Where does faith life begin? Because one of the things about a God-given vision is you want to be faithful to it and true to it. And where faith life begins, it begins at the bottom of my son's bed when I'm putting him to sleep, before faith ever, life ever started. And I, I kind of had this this picture that was so strong. Yeah, have you ever had a picture? You know, that you, you, you just see something or you have this flash and, and, it, and it's just there and you think, like, where did that come from? I had this picture and 
it's of a, a room full of people, big room full of people, and, and it, it kind of all blue, except at the center, there's white light. There's no, no person, no particular minister, there's just white light. And at the edge of all this blue, there's people who are part of that group of people who are going out and they're bringing other people in and there's a life around it where people are getting brought in. So that's kind of uh, where this started. Now, put that together with something that Cheryl was feeling really strongly at the time. We'd been around church for decades. And one of the things that really um, frustrated Cheryl and, and made her dissatisfied is that people would come up to her after the service and talk to her. And it was always the same things. Nothing was changing. And it had been like that for 10, 20, 30 years. And yet we were Christians. And so, so Cheryl said, look, I, I can't stand for stuff to carry on being like that. So when we respond to what God is saying, when we make a church, or, or God wants to build that church, I want a, a church where people know who they are, know who God made them to be, but also they know what is theirs as a result of being a Jesus follower. And also they know how to use what is theirs. So three components, who they are, what he says, and they know how to use what he says. And so that's where this, that's where this all started, with those two things. And, um, you know, it raises kind of some sort of questions, isn't it? So do you just launch into things, with, you know, and, and, and start doing stuff left, right, and center? Or do you, does that vision and that God has talked to you about, does it have a particular flavor? Now, here's a, here's a statement, and it's a really important one. It's a really important one for you and for your lives. Wherever you are in the, in, in the stages of life, wherever you are from not really sure whether you believe in Jesus to have believed in Jesus 40 years and, and, and so on, wherever you are on, on that, that, that spectrum, this is true for you. This is an observable fact in life. Here it is. Everybody ends up somewhere in life. Everybody in this room is going to end up somewhere in life in 5, 10, 15 years' time. Everybody ends up somewhere in life. Very few people end up somewhere on purpose. Whether you like it or not, you're going to end up somewhere in life. Your life is going to look like something. And it's the same when you put that in the context of a church. Every church that I'm aware of aims to do good things. But only a few churches fulfill the purpose God gave them. And I, I'm going to explain why that is. And it's just, again, an observable fact. So where does, where does the idea of having a vision start? Where does, it, where does it begin? Well, it begins from this, and I'll, I'll, again, I'll make a statement, because vision is important because it transforms something. And what it transforms is dissatisfaction. 
There's things that we are dissatisfied with. Now, dissatisfaction can sound negative, but it's actually something that God gave us as a tool so we can respond to it, so we can identify what is moving our heart. And, and dissatisfaction, when it's channeled, gives us a clearer picture of what could be. You see, vision's about the future. It's not about now. You, you never reach your vision because it's always in the future. You're always going towards your vision. But that dissatisfaction should create something, and it says, that could be. Things could be different. Things could be different. Now, I said, I've, I've given prior warning of this, but I just want to embarrass a couple of people this morning. I don't know, I hope it's not me. It's not you. Well, unless you're John and Rachel or Christina, it's not you. But there they are, there's the warning. But John and Rachel felt a few weeks ago that it, they really kind of wanted things to be better. They wanted things to be ready and set up well. And so they decided that what they were going to do is do something about it. Take that could be. So they're coming in early every Sunday morning now to help set up, do whatever's necessary. They're heroes. We need heroes like that. Christina, independent of John and Rachel, was moved to do the same thing. Christina is coming in early because that's what God's asked us to do. Christina was ushering this morning. Christina helped set up refreshments. She's a hero. We need heroes. God needs heroes in his kingdom. People who don't just get dissatisfied with things, but go, it could be different. So I'm going to respond and see that it's different. You see, the thing about a vision is a vision something you're aiming for, that, that thing you say could be, when you say it could be, that's just a dream. I've got a good idea. That's a dream. It's only when we respond and that could be becomes a, it absolutely has to be. It should be. When the could be becomes a should be, then it's a vision then it's something that you are going for. Loads of people have good ideas. They, they, they get dissatisfied with things. They think about things. They, they're happy to tell you what could be, but God wants to move us from the could be's to the should be's. And the should be requires us to engage, engage with that vision, that vision that he has for our own life and that vision that he has for the church that we're part of. So you're kind of understanding this. Now, if I ask you a question, if I, if I talk about what is vision, and I said to you, just imagine, you can do this, just imagine what your life is going to look like in 10 years' time. Just imagine, just think, like, what's your picture of what your life is going to be like in 10 years' time? Now, I think you'll all have some idea of what could be, what you'd like to say. And, and part of the problem is that some of us have started going after things and we've got to the point kind of now when I ask you what your life's going to look like in 10 years' time and, you say, and you're not happy with what you see. You're not happy with the way you can see it going. 
And then there's others of you who are kind of a, a, a bit kind of wired this way, who, who you've already got a plan and you're already going for it and you're going, that's what my life's going to be. I'm going to give it everything I've got to make it that, that my life's like that. That's vision. And here's the thing. Everyone has a vision. Everyone's got a vision for their life. You've just done it. That's what your current vision is for your life. Whether you like it or not, whether you're happy with it or not, that's your current vision for your life. But very few of us may be, maybe it's more than, maybe more than a few of us. I don't really know. But we, we're in this place where we've got a plan that your life should be some, like something. Now, here's the point. The point is this. For many of us, we are only seeing things that will inevitably be if we don't act to change things. So you can have a picture of a church. You can have a picture of faith life. What will faith life look like in five years if nothing changes? It'll look different because the inevitables will have affected it. But vision allows us to say, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're aiming for. And everything we'll do, we'll look for that. We'll go after that. Now, it's, it, I realized that when I, I was preparing this series, it was like six or seven years since I've talked about this stuff. That's not good. That's a failure on my part. Because it, it's so important that we are all heading towards the same thing and all engaged with the same thing. It's really important. Otherwise, we're going off in loads of different directions. And that, and that gives us a problem that I'll, I'll talk about when, when we get into kind of some Bible verses. Is, is something that is, that is true. I've seen this work in my life. I've seen it work in lots of people's lives. A clear, positive vision plus the courage to follow through on that division uh, that vision significantly increases your chance of coming to the end of those 10 years or the end of your life and said, I did it. I'm satisfied with my life. A clear vision of where you want to get to, together with the courage to follow through on it, significantly will dramatically will increase your chances of coming to the end of 5, 10, 15, 20 years and saying, I'm satisfied. I did what I set out to do. In the absence of that, the future will inevitably shape your life. And you might not be happy with how it shapes it. Let's put that again into Church terms, here's, it, here's what it looks like in church terms. A clear positive vision with the courage to follow through, this is Jesus' terms, dramatically increases your chances of getting to stand in front of Jesus and him looking at you and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. If there's anything we want it here at the end of our life, it's that, well done. Well done, you did what I asked you to do. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
So we need a clear vision and the courage to follow through on that vision. Are you kind of understanding where I'm coming from? I saw an example of this a few years ago. Um, it was when my mum was still alive and I was going up to visit my mum and uh, the, the town that I come from, a little town in the Lake District called Kendall. Kendall is uh, famous for lots of things, primarily mint cake, etc., etc. But it's famous for a lot of things. And one of the things that, that's remarkable about Kendall is it has the fastest flowing river in England called the River Kent. Unfortunately, the River Kent is a bit prone to not stay where it's supposed to be and come over its banks and flood the town, even though the, the town goes up hills, which is kind of lucky for it. But it floods. And, and this Christmas, this prior to Christmas, I was going up to visit my mum and dad, and it had flooded. And it was all over the national news. You know, when they show you those pictures of people. And it was showing pictures of these guys, and they were putting sandbags along on top of all the extra flood defence works that have been built for the last 30 years. And they're putting more and more sandbags on top, and they'd run out. So what they did is they, they went down to one of the builders' merchants and they had these guys and they, day after day they were filling straw bags with sand, sealing them up and carting them down there. And they interviewed this guy. They said, it's just like freezing cold here and it's, like it's absolutely pouring down and, and you're here and you've been here all day just filling these bags. How are you feeling? And this guy said, I'm not filling bags. I'm saving a town. That's the difference between life dictating to you and the vision. Something bigger. I'm not filling bags. I'm saving a town. I'm not doing jobs in church. I'm building Jesus' kingdom. Yeah? Now, here's the thing that when you have a vision, and again, as I said, I haven't talked about this for like seven years. When you have a vision, unfortunately, visions can fade. Um, sometimes visions can turn to nightmares because you just get so far away from them and it all goes horrible. All sorts of things can happen to vision. Why, why is that? Why do we lose sight of what God asked us to do? Why, why do we get bored with what God asked us to do? Why do we start behaving in ways that work against what God asked us to do? And here's the thing, there's, there's no one reason. I tried to think of one reason, I couldn't think of one, so we've got a list. And, and some of them I might be wrong on. Some of them other people have said to me. But one of the reasons, and this is... This is the one where Cheryl worries that I'm going to upset people. If it's you, then sorry. One of the reasons that we fail to see through our vision is inactivity and laziness. We just can't be bothered. We've got other things going on. And so we, we settle for the lowest common denominator. So for instance... If our goal, if, we, if, if church, if the vision that God gave us as a church, if that had somehow shrunk down to, man, that was good, we got through another Sunday morning and nothing went disastrously wrong. If the vision has shrunk to that, then something's gone wrong. 
And it's us that's gone wrong. Another reason why uh, visions fail, and this might surprise you, visions fail because of good things. Too many good things. Too many good things with limited resources. Too many ideas. Here's another reason visions fail. And this is a really important one. A failure to check if what you're doing passes two tests. The first test is, is this helping us towards what God's asked us to do? Is this helping me to what God's given me for my life? And then what activities do I do to bring that to pass? So does it help? But then does it make a significant impact? So is it in line with the vision? Does it make a significant impact? Because otherwise we can all have like hundreds of ideas about what the church should do, but they don't make any impact. And, and, and they're really difficult to stop once you've started. But here's the thing. When you, when you think, how much impact is this having? You're just getting your thinking in line with Jesus who said by fruit, fruit is what matters. And so we can have, churches do lots of good things right across these cities. Churches do fantastic things right across this city. But those who are achieving what God gave them to do have passed them through that lens. Is, is what we're doing having an impact? And if it's not, we shouldn't be doing it. And if it is, we should be committing resources to those few things that we can do really well. So vision can just fail because of too many good things, too many ideas about what good things are. Sometimes visions fail for a different purpose. They fail because those who the vision wasn't entrusted to come along and try and add or change the vision, add to or change the vision. We can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. He's probably one that is more prevalent than it's ever been before, that stops visions or causes visions to fail. Busyness with other things. Life. Life, where, where we, we forget that our life is about a mission given to us by Jesus, and our life becomes about all the things that fill our days. And here's, here's a basic problem with that. To focus on what's around you diminishes your ability to focus on what's before you. The, the more you let life crowd in and, and you're just busy dealing with any, everything, it, it makes it harder and harder to focus on what God gave you to do. Okay, so what does God actually say about vision? Because it's no good unless it's biblical, is it? Well, God has a lot to say about vision, but I'll just say this right at the start. God is the greatest visionary who has ever existed and continues to exist. God is a visionary. He envisaged you before you were ever born. He envisaged the world before he ever created it. 
He's an incredible visionary. So what, what's his, his approach to vision? Well, there's this, this guy called Habakkuk. That's northern. If, you, if you're southern, it's Habakkuk. But let's call him Habakkuk, because that's good. Habakkuk is a minor prophet. Like, of all the things you want to be, like a minor prophet. What's a minor prophet? Well, that doesn't mean that Habakkuk was only four foot tall. Nor does it mean that he wasn't important. What it means is he was short and concise. Not like Isaiah and Jeremiah who went on for 60 odd chapters. He's got three. But he's called as a prophet to a part of the old kingdom of Israel called Judea. And God tells him, you've got a message to give to these guys that they need to repent and turn back to me because if they don't, the Babylonians are going to come in and they're going to take them all off into captivity. So God's warning them. But if they do turn, this is what I've got for them. If they, if they come back to me as their, as their God, this is all the good stuff that I want to get to them. And so he goes and he, and he tells Habakkuk and he says this, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. He's played on tablets because they didn't have laptops and they didn't have, they didn't have paper. <laughs> they wrote on tablets and papyrus. That's why Habakkuk was short because he wasn't very strong and couldn't carry too many tablets around. That's what I think anyway. Isaiah, I don't know how he shipped his around. But anyway, this is what he says. Make the vision plain, write it on tablets that he may run who reads it. Without a vision, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're trying to do. If you're on refreshments, you don't know whether what you're doing is helping us towards that vision or not. If you're on welcome, you don't know whether what you're doing is helping us towards the vision of the church. The same, same with your life. If you haven't got a really clear vision, it's really hard to know what to do to bring about something different from what's already happening to you. And so he says, the vision is yet for an appointed time. At the end, it will speak. In other words, guys, when this comes to pass, you're going to know I was right when I wrote this down. And it won't lie. You're going to see this. Though it doesn't, though it tarries, old word, means like, because it's slow. Because it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. Now, what's the difference between our, the, the visions that God gives us or visions that we have for our life and things that God says. Well, because we can mess up our lives and we can mess up what God's asked us to do as believers and we can mess up what God's asked us to do as a church. But God never messes up when he, his vision. He does it. And so in, the, in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, in the absence of vision, my people perish. Some of you will have that as my people perish for lack of vision. Some, some versions say in the absence of vision, the people cast off restraint. That, that's, that's not like they go crazy. What it means is, you know, like those guardrails that run down the center of motorways to keep you in lane and you, you've got the white lines and all that sort of stuff. It basically says people stop thinking about that. They stop forgetting where they're going and they drive off all over the place. Another way of saying it is, in the absence of vision, my people scatter. They go off in lots of different directions. 
And so here's how God gives a vision. He comes along and he comes along to this, this man. He, so God's working out a plan to help people. And his plan to help people involves this guy that he's found, and this guy's called Abraham. And he comes along to Abraham, and Abraham, in case you didn't know, is an old guy. And his wife is also an old lady, and they've got no children. So if I ask Abraham, What's, what does your vision look like for the next 10 years? I guarantee you it doesn't look like what God's going to say to him. Because God comes along, he says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. You're going to be a father of nations through your seed, through your kid, through your children. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That's how God's a visionary. Like, let's just imagine, like, an 80, 90-year-old guy and an 80, 90-year-old woman and God's going to, you're going to have loads of kids. How can he do that? Well, it's because he's God. That's not a natural thing. But here's the thing. God doesn't just say that to him. He keeps the vision in front of him. And how does he do that? He does it by changing his name. So he inserts a letter into his name that changes Abram, to Abraham. And now, every time that Abraham goes around and says his name, hi guys, I'm Abraham now, what he's saying is, hi guys, I'm the father of nations. Look at me, 80-year-old old guy that's going to bless with loads of kids because I'm the father of nations. He keeps the vision in front of him. He keeps talking about it. He makes it so that Abraham can't stop talking about that vision that God's given him. And eventually that produces faith and Abraham sees it. What about Jesus? Does he have a, a vision? I think he does. I think he gave his church the vision. And in some ways, we, we, that, that vision is encapsulated in, in a phrase, go and make disciples of all the nations. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, holy soul, holy strength, and all your mind. And love one another like I've loved you. That's kind of a description about what Jesus intended his church to look like. But just backtrack a little bit. Before he ever says some of that stuff, one of the things that happens is Jesus is talking to his disciples and he asks them, who do you say I am? And the disciples, well, firstly, he asks them, who do people say I am? Who's everybody else saying I am? And they come up with all sorts of answers. You know, you're Elijah, you're John the Baptist raised from the dead, etc., etc. And then he turns to me and he says, who are you going to say I am? And Peter, you know, crazy Peter that jumps in, you know, puts his feet before his mouth and all the rest of it. He jumps in again and he says, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the one that was promised. And Jesus says this. Man hasn't revealed to that to you, but your father in heaven. And here's the thing, Peter. On that understanding, I'm going to build my church. So Jesus' plan, when he's no longer walking the earth, was the church and still is the church. It still is the local church. 
You know, people will come up, well, well, we're all the church. Well, that is technically true, but it's also technically untrue. Because when Paul writes to churches, he doesn't write to the church around the world. He writes to specific churches. Jesus' plan was local churches going and making disciples and teaching people to love Jesus and follow Jesus. That's the plan. You're the plan. Whether, whether I like it or not, I'm the plan. Whether Paul likes it or not, Paul's the plan. Whether Bucky likes it or not, she's the plan. This, this is Jesus' plan. Just have a look at you. You are Jesus' best plan. The local church is key to Jesus' vision. And you are key to this local church. Something Paul says, he says this. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? Why did God make you who you are? Now, this verse is specifically talking about those who've chosen to follow Jesus. And for those who've chosen to follow Jesus, this is kind of not optional. We might like it to be optional. It's just not optional. Because we are, he's made us like we are, who we are, and put us where we are. Why? Because he's got good works, things that he wants us to do. And what this tells us is he's thought this out beforehand. He's ordained it beforehand. He's thought it through. This is the plan. He's outworking it. So we walk in those things that he's given us to do. That's what he asks. That's his plan. That's his vision. Now, we've got a vision as a church. I talked about that white light vision or whatever. And years ago, like people would come and say, well, I didn't really get that white light vision and I didn't understand it and I'd have to explain it all, what all the different bits meant and all that sort of stuff. So we tried to condense it into a single line. Now, this is, this is our vision statement as a church. It's always been our vision statement as a church. It's not changed. Some people don't even, they, they, they come up with other things that should be the vision of our church. They're wrong. This, they, that isn't what God gave us to do. This is what God gave us to do. To lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. To lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's what that white light vision condenses down to. That's what those three things that Charles wanted to see condenses down to. To lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's the problem. If I don't clarify what that means and repeatedly remind people what it means, you all make up your own mind what it means. Because in eight words or nine words or whatever it is, I forgot to count them, you can't express everything. So somebody reading that, even if they've read the vision of the church, might have a completely different idea of what that looks like to what God gave us to do. So I'm going to clarify it over the next couple of weeks. And on those um, videos that are going to drop each morning, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to watch them. They're going to drop into your inboxes about 7 a.m. Uh, they'll come on Facebook about 7 p.m., something like that, like we've done before. But just quickly, I just want to cover a few things off before we finish. 
Let me just unpick that phrase. To lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Firstly, lead. We have to be intentional in order to lead. You can't lead by accident. So if we want to fulfill it, we have to cause certain things to happen. A leader causes things to happen. There's, there's a phrase that talks about the word lead, and basically what it means is to go before someone, taking them somewhere they haven't been before. Now, you need to know where you're going in order to do that. Then you need to be intentional about taking others with you. So this is an intentional thing. We intentionally need to go after what God's asked us to do. And then people. You are people. Most of you are people. <laughs> but what people... What is this vision for? Is it for people that look like you, talk like you, think like you, believe everything you do and want everything that you want? No. Is it for a small group of people who've been around a lot longer than other people? Equally, is it for a small group of people who've just arrived? It's all people and any people that we can get Jesus to. Now, here's an important thing, which is the easiest thing to lose sight of, is it in a major way includes people who are not yet here. It includes people who do not know Jesus. It doesn't start in the doors of the church. It has to start beyond the doors of the church because we don't just have a vision, we have a mission, and the mission is go and make disciples. So when it says people, it's people who are nothing like Jesus at the moment. It's people we might not like, and they might not like us. And that's our problem because people liked Jesus. And if they didn't like, if they don't like us, it's because they're not seeing Jesus in us. People follow Jesus all over the place. The only people who didn't like Jesus was religious people. But the people outside the church like Jesus. And you know what? He liked them back. And he hung out with them. He gave them the chance to hear what he had to say. So that's people. What are we growing? Well, we want to move people along that relationship spectrum. What does relationship mean? I'll unpack this a bit more in, in probably next week, but it's unpacked in those daily videos. It doesn't just mean knowing about Jesus. It's really important that what we do and what we say and what we teach is practical and helpful rather than informational. Because honestly, you guys, all, most of you already have too much information. Your little heads are popping with information. It's all in there. 
But it's not yet going and making disciples on the scale Jesus envisaged. So it's a practical thing. And so it's not growing in information. It's growing in trust. Trust of Jesus with your life. So wherever you are, you can always grow in trusting Jesus more. Because the basis of every relationship is trust, isn't it? Now, we phrase that different. We call it faith. But faith's a bit religious, so let's call it trust. Trust in Jesus. We grow in trust in Jesus. To lead people into a growing relationship, trust in Jesus. Jesus is why we do what we do. Jesus has asked us to do what we do. Jesus is the primary message, what we do. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's love Jesus. Let's care for Jesus. Let's think about Jesus. Let's, let's take what Jesus says and apply it in our lives. It's about Jesus. Now, let me just finish with this. It's a verse. It's a verse you all know. Whether you, well, it's not a verse you necessarily all know, but you, even if you don't know, if you've been around church for more than a couple of weeks, some Christian will have quoted it to you. God works together all things for good. How many of you have heard that verse? Okay. Well, that's not the verse. Here's what it actually says. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. Who wants everything working together for your good? I do. But how does that happen? This isn't a... That's just what will happen by osmosis if I just do there, if I just sit there. This is a conditional promise. All things work together for good for those who love God, those who are committed to God, who are following Jesus, who are going after Jesus. And are living according to what is purpose for them. The good comes with following the purpose. The good goes with going after the purpose. So in our own individual lives, if we, if we want that good, God working stuff together for our good, then we've got to go after the purpose he's given us for our life. And equally, as believers, we go after the purpose he's given us for our church. <coughs> and then he gets involved his power, his strength, his ability to convict hearts, his ability to change hearts, his ability to change lives gets released when we go after the purpose he's given us to do. Now, here's how I want to finish this morning. Because I want it to be practical and I want it to be helpful. Here's how I want to finish. I'm going to ask you to look at three questions. You might want to write them down because I haven't got them on the slide. What is it that dissatisfies you? What is it that dissatisfies you? <coughs> Number two. What would your life be like if that was changed? 
And number three, what will you do about that personally? What is it that dissatisfies you? What would your life be like if that changed? What are you going to do about it personally? So I'm going to leave you with that. You can just carry on looking at it. We're just going to play some music. And when you've thought about it and you've kind of mulled it over, we have tea and coffee for you and we have lovely people for you to talk to. Barring that, you end up talking to me. And have a great week, Faith Life. Don't just wander off, think about those questions. And when you get home, think about those questions.